You're listening to Interviews with Adam. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today we're joined once again by our good friends over at Voice of the Martyrs. Todd Nettleton is with us to talk about how to better pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering in chains around the world. There, There is a lot going on in our culture today. There's a lot going on here in the United States that can often be a huge distraction during an election year to the reality of what's happening all over this planet as Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Uh, Todd, it's always a privilege. Um, it's always a challenge to, to hear what's going on, but it's also also very important to, to know that uh, we can be joined together with our brothers and sisters around the world. So thank you for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I thank you also to our listeners who I know uh, will take these things and will pray for our brothers and sisters around the world Uh, That is their number one request. Pray for us. Uh, And so I hope that I can equip listeners to pray specifically and pray more knowledgeably during our time together. Well, it has been a while since we've we've talked, and uh, a lot's happened in the process. So why don't you get us a quick update into any of our listeners who aren't familiar with Voice of the Martyrs as to uh, what the ministry is about and how it helps us to to be connected with, with those around the world who, who need our prayers and need our support. Well, Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry to persecuted Christians around the world. There are more than 70 countries where Christians face regular systematic persecution because of uh, doing the same things that we do every week here freely, going to meet with other believers, to study the Bible, uh, distributing Bibles, giving someone else a Bible or a New Testament, sharing their faith in Christ. Those things bring suffering and bring persecution. And so Voice of the Martyrs seeks to stand with them to encourage and help and equip Uh, and help make up for some of the things lost through persecution. Things like helping the children of an imprisoned pastor still have money to pay their school fees, to be able to continue their education. Helping pay the rent for that family when their dad is in prison, or maybe their father has been martyred for his faith in Christ. And so we seek to be a bridge to help American Christians know what's happening in hostile and restricted nations to be able to pray more effectively, as well as to be able to provide practical and spiritual help to our brothers and sisters who are going through persecution. And uh, our founder was Pastor Richard Wormbrand. He spent 14 years in prison in communist Romania. Uh, And so uh, we are an organization that was founded by a persecuted Christian uh, to serve persecuted Christians around the world. And it's been 52 years, almost 53 years Uh, We continue to do that today. Now, when we normally go through these conversations, there's so much to cover. We we kind of do it geographically, uh, kind of breakdown, and um, a lot that uh, we we hear about happening in Asia and in the Middle East. Uh, one of the areas that we don't cover very much, or we don't hear about very much, at least in our mainstream media, is uh, what's happening in Africa, because this is such a huge uh, continent that is overrun by uh, such a diversity of class, but also uh, a lot of persecution happening in the midst of, of some war-torn countries. There is, and one of the countries, and I don't think you and I have ever discussed this country before uh, until a year ago this time. I had never done an interview anywhere talking about the country of Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso has sort of previously been held up as a an example 
uh, of peace and harmony in an African country. There are uh, about 60 ethnic groups represented in Burkina Faso, and there are Christians, there are Muslims, and, you know, five years ago, like I said, we would hold that up and say, hey, look, this is a place where it's working. That, unfortunately, has changed over the course of the last 12 to 14 months. There have been numerous attacks. Uh, just last month, there was an attack on a church, 24 people killed, including the pastor of that church, 18 mm. more people injured, three people kidnapped. Uh, the, the, the attackers, the terrorists, uh, began to loot the village, and they kidnapped three people to help them carry away the materials that they were stealing from the village. And so, and it would be one thing if this was sort of a one-off attack, but like I say, over the last 12 to 14 months, we have seen this repeated, a, a church attacked, a pastor killed. Uh, and so what's happening in Burkina Faso and what seems to be happening is the jihad is spreading from some of their neighboring countries, from Mali to the north, from Niger to the east of Burkina Faso, uh, and the government of Burkina Faso is, is relatively new. They took power just a few years ago, and they they don't seem to be able to put a stop to these kind of attacks. And one of the things that that's resulting in is now somewhere around uh, three-quarters of a million people, 750,000 people displaced within that country. Uh, and so, you know, you think about an attack on a church where, 24 people are killed and where 18 people are injured, when the next Sunday rolls around, if you live in that area and it's time to go to church, what happens at your house? I mean, just put, put yourself, put us in that position. What would happen? We would say, hey, do we really want to go to church this Sunday? Look, look at what happened at this church last Sunday. Are, are we going to go? What many in Burkina Faso have done, like I say, hundreds of thousands, literally, they have left their home areas and said, it's not safe for us here. Let's go to the capital city. Let's go someplace else. And many of those people are Christians. And, and when they get to where they're going, they check in with the church and they say, hey, can you help us? And, and so the church is really overwhelmed right now with just trying to care for the needs of all of those displaced Christians, as well as uh, one of our contacts was visiting with Burkina Faso pastors. One of the things he said is he said the church right now is very afraid. They have not dealt with this level of persecution before, and they are afraid. And I think all of us can say, well, I totally understand that. I would be afraid, too. Uh, so one of the prayer requests for that nation is just for the church to be encouraged and not to give in to that spirit of fear. I think it's really hard for for some of us to wrap our minds around the kind of tension that's happening in uh, these these countries in Africa, where it is just persistent. It, they there's a, a constant fear around them because of of all these jihads, of all of these kind of Boko Haram, and all of these groups that are militant, um, and the government is not big enough and not strong enough, and not uh, uh, you know able to to manage those kind of threats. Uh, can you give us a little concept of why in this region of the world it is so uh, broken and, and so uh, disjointed in the sense of having a structure in place that can actually deal with these threats? I can give a little bit of perspective, and I I'm, I'm certainly don't hold myself up as an expert on Africa or, or particularly this particular part of Africa, um, but the the challenge is there are lots of different 
potential tension points. So, so you have ethnic tensions or tribal tensions. Hey, you know, my tribe doesn't like your tribe or that tribe over there raises cattle and my tribe is farmers. And, and so there's tension about how are we going to use the land and your cattle is affecting my crops. And then there is religious tension. There are Muslims, there are Christians, there are animists. And so there is tension within that. And then there are government tensions and, and the government tensions sometimes play off of some of those other tensions. Wait a minute. The president of my country is not from my tribe. So I don't like him. He doesn't mm -hmm. like me, even though he's my president. Wait, the president of my country is a Muslim and I'm a Christian or, or he's a Christian and I'm a Muslim. So I don't like the president because of that. And so you have all of these different potential uh, sort of flashpoints for conflict. Uh, and then something happens like an attack or, and it, it serves as really a spark to light up conflict. And then it starts to come and, and all those different uh, sort of tensions play into how the conflict is handled, how it grows from some kind of a flashpoint. Uh, and so all of those things uh, affect the church in these regions. They, you know, when you're a pastor there, you're thinking about all of these different tension points. And okay, how do I navigate these waters? How do I help my congregation and prepare them uh, to do, you know, what the Bible call, talks about, acts of service, acts of taking the gospel out into the surrounding culture. How do we do that? that? That is, it's a challenging path for them to walk. It's a challenging path for them to prepare their congregations to walk as well. Talking about uh, cultures that have a clash with uh, of, with being able to uh, have freedom to express their religious thought, uh, India is one of those cultures that is just steeped in uh, tradition, history, and division with multiple different kind of uh, segments across the culture that, that are fighting for control, uh, religious control really over the country. Can you give us an insight as to what's happening in India with the, the challenges they're facing ahead? Well, one of my co-workers here at Voice of the Martyrs just traveled to meet with Christian leaders from all over India. So church leaders, large church pastors, ministry leaders from all across the country. Uh, and one of the things they did as they sat down was just to kind of get a sense of, hey, what's, what's going on? What does persecution look like? What is it like to be a follower of Christ in India right now? The thing, the important thing I think for Americans to understand is the the government perspective. India has always prided itself on being a secular country. The Constitution establishes that it's a secular country. The government doesn't favor one religion over any other. However, uh, the, the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who uh, was elected five years ago, he was re-elected last year for another five-year term. His government and his philosophy is a Hindu nationalist philosophy. Every Indian should be a Hindu. And if you're not a Hindu, you're not really Indian and you're not really welcome here. Uh, so, you know, they have this constitution that says we're a secular state, but they have this government under Prime Minister Modi that is pushing that Hindu nationalist philosophy. And one of the amazing things, and this is somewhat surprising sometimes for Americans, is uh, Prime Minister Modi is enacting the things that he campaigned on. He said, I want India to be a Hindu nationalist state. And now he is putting in place policies against Muslims, against Christians, 
and putting pressure on people of other faiths. And so as these Christian leaders from across India talked about what's going on, they said, hey, the the RSS, the Hindu Nationalist Movement, has now had five years in power. They have put their people strategically in positions of power, in the police station, in the, the legal system, the court system, in other offices where they can start to exert that power and start to put in practice the philosophy that drives them. The other thing that, that they shared, and this is sort of mind-blowing to me, is that they have established a, a network all across India to report Christian activity. Uh, and, and so their goal is to have eyes and ears, to have a person on the ground in every village of India. That's something like 700,000 villages in India to watch for Christian activity. That person has basically like a toll-free number. Hey, if you see someone handing out Bibles, if you see someone holding prayer services and, and holding Christian meetings, call this number. Let us know what's going on, and we will respond. We will mobilize people to act against that Christian activity, to shut down those missionary workers. Uh, and, and so, again, you just think about that, 700,000 villages with a, a person on the ground in every one of those villages watching out for Christian activity, and then a national network all across India of Hindu nationalist radicals who are ready to respond and close down any type of Christian activity. It is mind-blowing. As these Christian leaders gathered with my coworker here at Voice of the Martyrs, one of the pastors of a large church in a, in a big city where, you know, five, ten years ago in a big city, a large church, you would not have seen pressure. You would not have seen persecution. This pastor stood up in the group and he said, listen, some of us are going to go to prison because of our Christian work. Uh, and my coworker who has, has lived in India is, is very aware of, of the situation there. He said that from a, from a large church pastor in a big city, that was a mind-blowing statement because, again, five, ten years ago, nobody would have thought that a pastor of a large church would go to prison. But he looked around that room and he said, some of us are going to go to prison for our faith in Christ. So that's the reality Here's the good news. Well, this is the exciting part of, of what we heard about what's going on in India. There are eight states there that have passed anti-conversion laws, basically saying if you want to change your religion, you need to go before a judge or a magistrate. You need to fill out these forms, and you need to get it approved that you can change your religion. All eight of those states that have passed anti-conversion laws the Church of Jesus Christ is growing, every single one of the eight states. So the anti-conversion laws that are in place to try to pressure the church, to try to keep the church from growing, they're not working. Uh, the church is continuing to grow, like I say, in all 100% of the states that have passed anti-conversion laws, the church is still growing. I think it's one thing to to be concerned about the the way the governments are putting pressure on uh, uh, on Christians and trying to force them into um, subjection in some ways, but we're also seeing that this is actually happening where 
there are either uh, subgroups or governments that are actually imprisoning uh, Christians for their faith. This is the kind of next extension to uh, if, if the sort of laws don't suppress them, they will go beyond that. And we're, we've seen something similar to that in Malaysia, correct? We have. Uh, last month, we marked the three-year anniversary of the disappearance of a pastor in Malaysia, Pastor Raymond Coe kidnapped off the streets of Malaysia near the capital city, uh, disappeared. Literally, uh, three years later, nobody has seen him, nobody has heard from him, nobody's found his car. Now, you say, well, maybe he ran away. No, there is actual security camera footage of him being abducted in a what I would can only call a military-style operation five different vehicles, at least 13 men that surrounded his car, forced it to the side of the road, took him out, put him in one of their SUVs, and drove off. The entire thing took 40 seconds. Uh, And three years later, nobody knows what has happened to him. Now, the Human Rights Commission of Malaysia has said that this was an operation of the special branch, which is the sort of the intelligence section of the national police. So they have blamed the police for this abduction, yet three years later, nobody has been held accountable, nobody's been arrested, nobody's been charged with a crime, and again, we have no idea where Pastor Raymond Coe is. Last month, in conjunction with that three-year anniversary, his wife, Susanna, filed a lawsuit against the government trying to get some answers, trying to move things forward and get some information, hey, what happened to my husband? Where is he? Uh, I want to encourage people to pray for her, to pray for their children, to pray for Pastor Raymond. I also want to encourage you, we launched a petition drive. Uh, We're up over 60,000 signatures now. We're trying to get to 100,000, and then we're going to take those to the Malaysian Embassy in Washington, D.C. ReleaseRaymond.com is the website where you can sign that petition. Release Raymond.com. Three years later, nobody knows what has happened to him. We're trying to to nudge or push the Malaysian government to release all the information they have uh, so that we can hopefully get this pastor reunited with his family. Uh, Three years later, and and I just think about, I I want people, I had the chance to go and interview Susanna, and uh, I have met two of her children, uh, one of her her son and one of her daughters, Imagine waking up every morning for three years not knowing what's happened to your dad or to your husband. Is he alive? Is he dead? We don't know. Is he sick? Is he well? We don't know. Where is he? We don't know. I mean, if you think about waking up every single morning for three years with that being the thought of your mind, I don't I don't think we'll have trouble being motivated to pray for this family if we just kind of put ourselves in their shoes for even a few moments. Uh, So I want to encourage people, pray for Susanna, pray for their family, uh, and sign that petition at releaseraymond.com. We we talk about these cultures that are so far removed from us. Uh, they're on the other side of the world, and it's easy for us to make that disconnect uh, that it's not hit happening close to home. But uh, we're starting to see a lot of this persecution happening uh, really in, in South America, and it's starting to really amp up to where it's starting to feel a lot closer to us. Uh, you had some report from Colombia that, that is pretty uh, alarming. 
Well, we did. One of my coworkers here at Voice of the Martyrs just is back from Colombia and from meeting with persecuted Christians. And Colombia is an interesting case because in 2016, there was a peace agreement between the Marxist rebels and the government of Colombia. Uh, the idea was the, the rebels are going to lay down their arms. They're going to join in the political process and we're going to have democratic elections and we're going to have peace in our country. So we're now three years, a little over three years later, uh, and what my coworker heard when he was there is that the guerrillas are not satisfied with the progress they've made in the political arena, so they are now picking those arms back up and trying to control territory. And one of the, one of the big threats that they see to their control of territory is Christians and pastors. Uh, because if a pastor is effective at sharing the gospel of Christ, at discipling new believers and strengthening them in their faith, those believers will not be recruited by the Marxist guerrillas. They will not take up arms. They will not join in the revolution. They say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So the, the guerrillas have literally publicly announced that pastors, Christian pastors, are what they call objects of war. Uh, this, they are enemies. We are going to target them. And so the pastors there are obviously very concerned about that. They're very afraid. In fact, my coworker, as he sat down with a man in Columbia, he started talking about the man's ministry. And the man said, you know, well, I, I lead Bible studies with other people. We gather together and, and I lead, I teach out of the Bible and I, I share my faith with the people around me. And uh, and, and my coworker said, oh, so you're a pastor. And he was like, no, 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 whoa, don't call me a pastor. Uh, and, and that word is such a tinderbox, and pastors are so often targeted that he was like, I'm, I'm happy to do the work of a pastor. I just don't want the title. Please don't call me a pastor. When you tell my story, please don't say I'm a pastor uh, because it is so dangerous. It is so risky for me to be a pastor. So, uh I hope we can encourage people to continue to pray for Colombia uh, and, and to pray especially for Christians in what we call the red zones, the places where the Marxists, the places where the paramilitaries have power and have weapons and, and like I say, are specifically targeting Christian pastors because they view them as a threat and they view them as objects of war. What's interesting in our conversation is just how many uh, new countries we're talking about over the course of, of, of this interview, that it is uh, starting to become more alarming, that it's it's not just the few that we talk about every every time we have a conversation. There are more being added. There's more concerns. There's more countries in this tension point that are, are really struggling. And we can be very isolated from that in our kind of local context to realize what's actually happening around the world is this full-on affront against Christianity. It is. And, you know, we, we've talked about some new countries. Let's talk about an old one now, one that we often talk about, and that's China. Mm -hmm. uh, China is so fiercely persecuting Christian believers right now uh, there was a, a pastor over just the day after Christmas that was sentenced to nine years in prison, Pastor Wang Yi. Uh, we actually, our, our free newsletter during the month of March is focusing on Pastor Wang Yi's church. Early Rain Covenant Church is the name of the church. And 
we tell their story just kind of as an example of of what is happening with Christians in China right now. But uh, the Chinese government is absolutely determined to control religious expression and to bring it under the authority of the Chinese government. Uh, For instance, to the point that even registered churches, so churches that have permission from the government to exist, are being told, hey, we don't want you to have that picture of Jesus at the front of your service. We want you to have a picture of President Xi Jinping. We don't want you to have the Ten Commandments on the wall of your sanctuary. We want you to have some good quotes from Chairman Mao. So that level of pressure, that level of control, and then you talk about like a pastor like Wang Yi, nine years in prison for leading a church in China. The one government area has has just launched a campaign against what they call illegal printing, and they've they've labeled it a campaign against pornography. Which you know we hear that and we think, well, that's great. They're they're cracking down on pornography. But what they're actually hunting for is Bibles and Christian materials. And they are saying, hey, if if we find out that you have been printing Christian materials, your business license as a printer is going to be revoked and you could end up in jail. Now, this is something I hope people will put on their prayer list because one of the ways that, that Voice of the Martyrs uh, gets Bibles into some of the countries where we work is hiring printers to do maybe some off books or maybe roll the presses in the middle of the night and secretly print Christian materials. So those printers are now being told, hey, if we catch you doing that, Mm. you're going to be out of business and you might go to jail. Uh, So just the challenge of of getting God's word, the challenge of providing God's word for the people of China uh, is growing because of the level of control that the Chinese government is, 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 exerting right now. And China has obviously been in our news a lot lately with the uh, coronavirus and uh, the kind of fear. Uh, One of the ways that we've talked about um, how to better pray is when we hear about these countries to to say a prayer, to remember that uh, what we're hearing on the news pales in comparison to what's actually happening around the world with our Christian brothers and sisters. But it is a good starting point to remember that we, we are a global church and we need to be praying for those in other countries. We do, and I want to encourage people. We have a project at Voice of the Martyrs, what we call frontline workers, which are gospel workers doing Christian ministry work inside a hostile or restricted nation. So we call them frontline workers. If you, as a listener, will commit to pray for one frontline worker for 12 months, we will send you a picture and a little bit of information about that worker. So you come to persecution.com slash FLW for frontline workers. So persecution.com slash FLW. You can sign up there. Like I say, we'll send you a card. You can stick it in your Bible. You can put it up on your refrigerator. We do ask for security. Please don't post it online. Don't put it up on your social media feed, uh, but do put it somewhere where you will see it and where you will regularly pray. And we want to build those connection points. So it's not God bless the persecuted church. It's God bless Pastor Sam inside China. His children's names are these. His wife's name is this. Bless him. Bless his ministry. Protect him and watch over him. We want to build that kind of personal connection. So any listener that is ready to pray specifically for a frontline worker, we want to equip you to do that. And so I'd encourage you, again, persecution.com slash FLW. 
and you can sign up. We'll send you a card, uh, and you can pray regularly for a very specific person and their ministry inside a hostile and restricted nation for the next year. And this is really important because we don't get a lot of this information. It's not being shared on social media. It's not being shared in the mainstream media. Uh, If people really are passionate prayers, and I know our listeners are probably the best prayer warriors uh, in the United States, at least here in New England, they are passionate about prayer and believe in the power of prayer, uh, but they need the right information. And that's what your ministry is doing, is providing them with the real information about what's happening around the world so they can better pray for our brothers and sisters in chains. Absolutely. We want to equip people to pray specifically and passionately uh, for our brothers and sisters. And it's, you know, that's not Voice of the Martyrs idea. That's the first request of persecuted Christians. That's the first thing they want from us is, will you pray for us? And it's not a prayer request, hey, pray that we won't be persecuted anymore. It is a prayer request, pray that we'll be faithful to Christ in spite of the persecution, in spite of the suffering that we endure. Uh, so that's their number one request. That's why we do things like send out these frontline worker prayer cards, is to equip people to answer the first request of our brothers and sisters in hostile and restricted nations. It's important to stay connected. Uh, do uh, v- visit their website, persecution.com. Uh, get all of that information, but make it a regular practice to sign up for their newsletter, to, to get into their, their system with the frontline workers, but so that you can be better informed personally on how to pray for uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to, to be encouraged. Uh, that's another thing, uh, Todd. We're encouraged to see the faith of those who are suffering on the front lines but are still bold in their proclamation. It uh, absolutely a hundred percent. I think, I think the inevitable question that comes as we read these stories is, what would I do? Uh, what would I do if I was sentenced to nine years in prison, like Pastor Wang Yi in China? What would I do if I was his wife or their son? How would I respond to that? Uh, and the the natural response, I think, is, boy, I want to say that I would be bold and I would still be, you know preaching from the rooftops, Lord, help me to be able to say that honestly. Help me to have that boldness. And and Lord, I need to read the scriptures. I need to draw strength from what your word says about facing hardship and facing persecution. So we are encouraged and we are challenged as we fellowship with these brothers and sisters around the world. We've been talking with Todd Nettleton, who is with Voice of the Martyrs, a radio and uh, uh, publication, as well as a frontline ministry, helping us stay connected with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are suffering for the sake of the gospel and are are asking for our prayers, and uh, we will commit to pray for them. So, Todd, thank you again for being a part of the many voices for that one message and sharing uh, all of these stories with us so that we can be better informed. It is my pleasure. I always enjoy being on with you. We hope you enjoyed this interview made possible by our ministry at Songtime Radio. You can find out more information about our ministry by visiting our website at songtime.com, where you can find this and other interviews on our podcast series, as well as our weekday broadcast, which includes teaching, interviews, and music. We also want to encourage you to sign up for our free monthly newsletter. It's got encouraging articles, and there is no obligation to find out more information about our ministry. Again, visit our website at songtime.com. 
This ministry is made possible by people just like yourself. We are 100% supported by our listeners. So if you have been blessed today, why not join with the many voices together for that one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with your donation to the Songtime Ministry. To make a donation, you can do so online at our website at songtime.com, as well as by mail. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. Make a donation over the phone. It's 508-362-7070. On behalf of our entire Songtime staff and our own Dr. John DeBrine, the founder here at Songtime, who encourages you to grow in grace and not groan in disgrace, from Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller. God bless. <laughs>